Hi, welcome. This is the Parent Perspective Speak Out. Um, we want to hear about your journey, or you can listen to our journey about dealing with adult children with mental illness. And yeah, our perspective as parents and what we go through. My name is Felicia Hunt, aka Mama Fifi. I am the founder of Sex Coach, Sex Coaching and Sex Education Services. And this is one of my umbrella programs that I deal with his mental issues. And so tonight I felt the need to talk about the parent perspective because a lot of people out there do not have any support. Um, and so therefore, you know, with the people not having any support, I try to create a safe space for people to come in, talk about their issues, their experiences, and hopefully, you know, give some helpful information and in how to deal with the situation. So um, basically, um, like I said, tonight topic is about parent perspective. And about over 16 years ago, I had gotten a call from my son's school uh, in terms of talking about his behavior and what he hears and what he sees. And they gave him a medical leave of absence. And so over the last 16 years, myself personally, uh, I have been trying to understand everything, you know, that has been going on. So uh, with that, with my own personal lived experience, I have come in contact with a lot of my friends who are parents of adult men and women around the same age, children born in around 1985, 86, and up who are displaying at a certain age some behaviors that is not normal to us, but it's just showing up. And we're having to deal with something that not only we're not used to, but maybe for fronts, for some of us have not even showed up in our bloodline, generational line of things that's happening and is something new and sometimes can be very confusing and traumatizing. And, you know, you go through a whole plethora of emotion because you would never expect for your lovely baby boy or girl to grow up to have these uh, issues. And so uh, that's what we're here today. And I wanted to create a platform and give people the ability to talk about it and uh, share my lived experience as a way of uh, helping and encouragement to other people who go through the same things 
that I have experienced, sorry for the noise, and have gone through. So if you ever want to come up to the stage, you know how to raise your hand and I will bring you up to join us if you have something you want to share. Otherwise, I can keep going with my story and uh, to tell you how I got to this space. So in my field of being a sex coach, I also am a marriage and family therapist. I am an intern working for my licensure and my doctorate's degree. And to be learning at the same time, these things that I see that's playing out with my son uh, is amazing journey. And so I'm using what I learned and I'm also a parent. So I can't be his therapy, his therapist or his therapy. Uh, that's something he has to consent to on his own. And that's the thing about being a parent with an adult child that have mental issues is that when they become grown, we don't have the power anymore to speak for them or tell them what they need to do. And so what happens is when they don't give consent, there's nothing that the medical field or any of the behavioral health facilities can do because they want that person to be able to give consent on their own. And my thing is when a brain sometimes is hallucinating or sometimes is delusional, how would they ever come to the consensus to make that decision to give a consent? And that was my worry for a very long time. And people were telling me, oh, you got to do tough love. And I was like, tough love? You mean to tell me my son have to be living out on the street, homeless, you know, as a homeless person before we can give him help? And I'm like, no, that's that's not right. You know, that's not, you know, what should be happening to our children. And so, um, so then um, went from there and I just held on and had the faith and was praying that one day things will turn around. And so eventually, after sticking to the process of letting him come to his own consent, he did. And I never thought that day would come, but it works. And I would have thought those people were out of their minds when they told me that I have to let go and that the person have to make that their own choice. And I could never imagine how that would look or how that would play out. And eventually, that's what happened. It played out and it just happened recently and things have turned around. And uh, 
by letting things go, which is so hard for parents to do. Yeah, uh, Aisha said, uh, Aisha said, uh, Ill, mental illness or mental health need to be normalized. And that's the thing, it's a lot of stigma. It is a lot of stigma. So um, I just feel it's a topic that needs to be talked about and that um, there should be no stigmas around. And I think there should be clear uh, identifiers between the dual diagnosis of people who do use drugs and abuse them versus the ones who um, versus the ones who um, have a mental issue and then use drugs as a way of coping. That's something totally different. And I think what I've been experiencing is that they, the system lumps it all together and they want to take care of either one or the other or lump a person in, into like, well, let's take care of the addiction. And then, you know, they got to be clean before they um, go into the mental health. Or, you know, and it's like, I don't know if that's the best thing, but my experience has been like, if they would have started with my son from where he was at, then it would have strictly been the mental health issue. Um, and then we can address the dual if it was a dual diagnosis it didn't have to get to that but since years have passed before we can even get any help that's what happened that's what happened because all they're doing is trying to lay uh level themselves out you know so anyway um so anyway, I call the phase that we're in now phase two, because I know it's a journey. I know it's a journey. Everybody is on their journey. And this journey of phase two is taking medication. It's still going to be, you know, some bumpy roads. And it's not going to be all smooth. But I'm going to enjoy the days that are good while they last. And I'm going to expect, you know, the downfall when they come. But my whole thing is, from my experience, is that you have to let the person who, it, who the mental issue is, is dealing with make their own, give them the room to make their own decisions and feel comfortable and normalize, like, what they say what they do. Don't try to change them. Don't try to make them see something different than what they see and understand uh, because that's not going to get you anywhere. And I'm learning that, that you cannot try to get them to see your reality. You know, you have to get them to see for themselves what's the next best step for themselves and go from there. Everything else 
it'll probably, as I unfold for me, it'll probably take care of itself. And that's where I am with encouraging other parents and other family members to understand that the route that you can take to make yourself uh, feel more comfortable with taking and de-escalating things and lessening your stress level because the person is not doing or following such certain instructions that you think they should and all of that. Um, it's very difficult to let go because you don't know what's on the other side when you let go and allow that person to come into their own with their own issues, but just be there to catch them when they want you to catch them. You know, it all has to be their choices. So I'm going to end or land there and let somebody else talk. Um, and, and I'll read the uh, comments and see what's in the comments as well. My son is um, 36. He asked a question in the chat. He's 36. I don't per se have the same type of story because I'm only 32. <laughs> so I don't have an adult kid yet. Um, but I do have a situation where I had to be the parent in a situation where my grandmother had struggles with mental health. So to see an adult, an adult figure, a parental figure that usually handled life pretty, pretty okay from where I was standing, um, kind of just, you know, turned into someone that I didn't know really. Um, and there was nothing no one could actually, like you said, it's kind of like a, powerless situation unless she wanted to go and get the help for herself. So it would be days, sometimes weeks would go by before she would decide to go check herself in and get help because she thought that she could handle it on her own. And ultimately it just would get worse and worse to where, um, you know, it finally was clearly obvious that she couldn't deal with it on her own and most of the times the only real reason why she would go and get help is because she would have to be guilt tripped into it by you know everyone either other people or myself saying you know that I need her here for me and you know that is what would kind of bring her back to enough reality to where she would realize, okay, I need to go get help and change what's happening right now. Because it would, it would go from little slight things of like little moments where you're like, are you talking to yourself? You know, and it's like, oh no, no, everything's fine. You know, it's in that everything's fine stage and you want to believe everything is fine. So you're like, oh, okay. But in the back of your head, you're like, mm, I don't know if everything's as fine as you may think, but okay. And then it was just like, it goes from that stage to the, you know, okay, it's apparent that everything's not okay, but they're still in that denial stage. And it's like, um, 
yeah, I don't think it is as great as you think it's going, you know, and it's just like, no, no, everything is fine. I'm fine. You're fine. We're fine. And everything would not be okay. Um, but like I said, it would be little, you know, over time, little slips, little things would happen. Um, times where she'd walk me to school and I've literally got all the way to school and decided to not go in and walk her back home because I was afraid she would like not go back home because I, I could tell that she was not in her right state of mind. So I couldn't leave her like that. And it would be times where, you know, my friends would be like, hey, you come to school? I'm like, oh, I got to go. And I blamed it a lot on my illness when truthfully, it wasn't my illness. It was my grandmother's mental illness that had me missing so much school and had me feeling like I couldn't, I had to look out for her. I had to be the parent. I had to make sure she didn't get lost. I had to make sure she didn't, you know, lose herself too much to where I lost her. So it was a very emotional situation to be in. Um, right. Yeah. I can it, understand that because uh, that's why this platform is here because it is very emotional. You know, it's a lot to carry. Yeah. And you were in, uh, you were, you was experiencing this at a younger age, put in a place to be the adult. Absolutely. Yep. And I know now being an adult, how do you feel now? Like, what has that experience taught you or how did you how were you able to recover for yourself? Honestly, I have times where I'm really tired of adulting because I feel like I've done it for so long, like even when I was an adult, that mm -hmm. I'm over it. <laughs> I'm over it. When when the next stage comes? At what age is what I'm feeling <laughs> right. at this point? Um, you want to be, you want to be in that retired stage where you can just do, say whatever, time to relax, chill, and enjoy life. Exactly. Um, being an adult is, um, it's it's a lot. It, it, you can you you take on a lot. You're responsible. Those are the responsible ages. You know what I mean? And yeah. you know when you have children, they depend on you no matter how old. You know. And they have to be, you have to be there for them. So Brittany has something to say. I'm going to jump to Brittany and unmute yourself, Brittany, and uh, you can go ahead and talk. Hi. Um, I'm Brittany Itala. Uh, uh, do you need to do like an introduction or something first? Yeah, you can let people know who you are and uh, where you're hailing from and tell us what okay. it is you like to talk about. Okay. Um, yes, once again, I'm Brittany Itala, uh, Slay Queen of Slay the Sickle Cycle. Um, I have a, I guess I call it a foundation, you know, um, called Slay the Sickle Cycle where I help people in the sickle cell community um, bring awareness to 
what's going on within our community, uh, provide support and education and advocacy. I'm a professional advocate and um, I have SS disease. Um, I recently had a incident and it wasn't the first where I'm actually, you know, in fear of going to the hospital. Um, I'm in the hospital right now um, only because a friend was able to come with me. Um, but if there was no one to go with me, I would have just pretty much sat at home and suffered in silence because um, <clears throat> the treatment is so bad that, you know, it affects my mental health, my emotional health, and um, just kind of all around, it's just not ideal it's not a good place to be um so i've been dealing with mental illness within my family for for forever really um first off me personally i have anxiety ptsd um like i have ocd i have a lot of different things um, and because of how I'm treated, um, that just kind of makes everything spike and make everything worse. Uh, growing up, I lived with a cousin who pretty much took me in because my grandmother died. My grandmother raised me until I was 12 and she died of cancer. Um, then my aunt. Uh, it kind of like went down the line, um, but she was sick. She died of cancer. They died within three months of each other. So my grandma died and then my aunt died like three months later. <clears throat> um, so it was like a double hit. Um, and so that same aunt had two children, um, a male and a female. The male I considered my dad, in which he died the year I graduated in 2007. Um, I didn't even get to, he didn't even get to see me like graduate. I remember at the funeral, I put my graduation, um, you know how you send out the graduation invitations um, and then cute little envelopes and stuff. I never got a chance to give it to him, so I put it on his grave. Um, on his tombstone as they, you know, lowered him into the ground. And it's like at that point, I was really toe up because in my mind, I was like, now I have no one because the daughter was left after that. Um, like I said, my aunt had two kids. Uh, so three people in my life that I considered my everything, they were gone. So at that point, I was like, I have no one. I do have a brother and a sister, but, you know, they're going through the same thing I'm going through. We were all kids at that time. And so there really was no one to confide in. We were all going through it in our own way. Um, but we had to live with the girl cousin. 
um, and she was very abusive to me. I know this early on, she had mental illness because I lived with her. Um, whenever she would leave, you know, or be in front of other people, basically, she would act as a total different person. Um, but whenever she was back at home, um, it looked, it's like, it was like night and day, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, like it was crazy. Um, I remember she had woke me up with, uh, by like beating me. I forgot what it was. It was like an extension cord or something like that. Um, and then I had whoops everywhere and I went in the bathroom and stared at my leg and I was just crying. Um, because when I woke up, I said, okay, well, what is it? Like, yeah, you woke me up. What do you want? Um, and she was, she literally turned and just walked away. It was so like random and creepy. And so, uh, that point I was like yeah I gotta get out of here because I just didn't feel safe but I was a kid <clears throat> I lived with her during my high school um, um, years <laughs> yeah pretty much mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I you know, yeah, that's unfortunate, you know, and sometimes, you know, you just never know what a situation, a hardship, or anything that can bring on to you or people around you, um, but dealing with your own family members who may be, may be displaying some sort of uh, mental illness and not seeking help and not knowing to i know there was a time when i was growing up we didn't know anything about mental health services it wasn't heard of in the black community uh, especially with racism and segregation and different things like that it was like some things were just not offered to us as black people like was offered to whites and then you know, because of the, the diasporas and the things that they did to the black bodies, we, our ancestors or our grandparents or great grandparents, you know, didn't trust the medical field. So if something was wrong with our own, we just took care of it. You know, we just took care of them. Uh, and, you know, you'll hear grandma, somebody say, ain't nothing wrong with them, ain't nothing wrong with them. You know, they just need this. They just need that or whatever. And we can see there's something special about cousin so-and-so or this and that or whatever. But that was just the norm at that time. Just to kind of add to what you were saying, Felicia, you're right. Like, because I know at first no one wanted to really admit that my grandmother had issues until it was like blatantly obvious that unless she got help, Mm -hmm. He wasn't going to get better, you know, like, and, and that was the sad part because I feel like it could have been prevented, like the trauma that I've been through, just, mm -hmm. you know, having to, you know, she went deaf in her 40s. So that's mm -hmm. a long time to have your hearing, your hearing in the knot. So it was just mm -hmm. like, for that to happen, and then... I'm 
you know, she tried to literally burn her ears with candles. And I was the only person that could, there that could stop her. So that is forever etched to my memory because I had to stop her from her harming herself. And it got to that point because, again, I'm a child, but I'm telling everyone, listen, something is not right here. And everybody is like, oh, no, it's okay. She'll be fine. You just got to look out for her. And <laughs> when it's become, you know, clear that it was a danger, she was a danger to herself. Like, no, I never. And that's, know, you that done hit another clear. point. You have hit another point point i'm sorry to jump in on you but i didn't want that point to pass when it when she hit the point of being a danger to herself why is it that it's set up that way where you only can get help when the person is a danger to themselves right it's crazy because it's like oh do you feel like she's gonna hurt you no i don't i never not once felt like she would hurt me in those situations she never did but she's always tried to hurt herself in those situations so right it has to either I mean, be why do we have to get to that point right it either have to be their danger to themselves or danger to others or both mm -hmm. or both to get the help and then on top of that when it's in that kind of situation that person has to even consent to that's what's going on and if they're not capable and you see that they need help that's even worse because the people say well they're not consenting they don't think that they're danger to themselves or others so we can't help them and they don't exactly you're right because if my grandmother would have never said okay yes i i will take the help they wouldn't have helped her the Why only not? she she did it is because we got to like tell her listen you know shay's already lost her mom you it you up you can't you can't go nowhere Right. <laughs> that was the only way she snapped back into it at least enough right. to say okay i'll take the help otherwise oh, it was not reaching out like nothing was reaching her right so uh, okay, i'm back Brittany, you, you back <laughs> yeah. okay and then we'll pass the torch to kenneth after you okay uh so where did i stop at yeah so um my dad considered him as my dad anyway he passed uh 2007 um lived with my cousin she woke me up with well she would just beat me and um like when i got up she walked away she turned and walked away like nothing and i was like what the heck is that um it really scared me like she would when we were driving she would say stuff like Oh, that car is following me. Oh, the birds in the sky. That's my granny. That's my um mom. And I'm like, what the heck is this girl talking about? And she could be normal around other people, but then like get home and just be yeah, like I said, Joko Hyde. Um, evil just um I had to get a job because people were saying like why is she always wearing the same thing i literally had only enough clothing for the week uh not even um i would like wash during the week because i had we had uniforms at school 
So I had about three shirts and two pair of pants that I had to rotate out. Uh, that's all I had every week. Um, so I have to kind of wash um, clothing often because I had none to wear. You know, I had nothing to choose from mostly. So I felt like she had mental illness. Um, she would say stuff like, if you touch my plants, I'm going to uh, bury you next to your granny. Like, who says stuff like that? Hello. Um, she wouldn't keep food in the house. I remember going to Bible study with my friend, and she, unbeknownst to me, called my friend's mom and was like, bring her back. So I was getting out the car. She was like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go to Bible study. She said, no. She uh, called and said that you can't go. I have to bring you back. I'm like, what? Who stops somebody from going to Bible study? And you, you go to church every Sunday putting on a front. But you stopped me from going to Bible study. Bible study. Not Six Flags. Bible study. Who does that? So, yeah, I did not understand why nobody was seeing the signs. Of course, I went to my school counselors. Nothing happened there. Um, it was just pretty much neglect. Um, and I was so happy I graduated uh, because... I think she had done one more thing. Like I said, I had to work to get food. There would be no food in the house. People would not believe me when I said there was no food. I remember one time I made a quesadilla because all we had was cheese and I saw some burritos. So I put the cheese in the burrito and I would, you know, warm it up and that was my cheese quesadilla uh, that would be dinner uh, I remember one time uh, she, right before she went to work she had took me somewhere we stopped to get donuts I ordered a dozen because I knew that throughout the day I would need something so I would eat like a donut per <laughs> like a donut per hour. I was actually arguing with people because they wouldn't believe me when I was saying this stuff. And it's like, who makes stuff up like that? Who? I don't have that good of an imagination. I'm a nonfiction writer. But, you know, it's like, who would make that up and who would combat that? Like, you don't tell me what I'm going through. I'm no one going right. through it. And so it was just real difficult. Um, she had, I reached my breaking point once I mm -hmm. got did my ever, job. Uh, did uh, you ever seek help for yourself? I spoke to, you know? to my counselors mm -hmm. at school. Uh, like I said, they did nothing. Um, I spoke to everyone and I was, everyone knew what I was going through and nobody cared. Nobody cared. So she, yeah, she pretty much was like that at graduation. Um, after I graduated, I did stay with, I think it only took a week and I, she done something and I was, I called my sister and I said, get me out of here. You have to come get me. I cannot stay here. You have to come get me. I, re I remember leaving 
like everything so, there and I just left because it was yeah, so, too toxic. Okay, so nobody ever advocated for her to get help or try to do an intervention? Uh, no, because I'm just a kid at this point, and I'm like, I think that's the reason why, you know, I was being ignored. Nobody was taking me serious because, like I said, she could act a certain way around people. So they were not seeing what I was seeing. And because they weren't actually in it, you know, they didn't take my word for it. The girl quit smoking cigarettes but started smoking again because she said she wanted to die like her mom died. Then my cousin, the way he died was somehow he was lit on fire and he burned to death. So what I want to know from you, because you seem like you went through a lot of grief. Had you ever sought your own therapy for any of this? Oh yeah. I, been in therapy for forever um i've seen psychology um i'm on like a few meds just like low-key like volume for anxiety um and i'm able to talk to my therapist like once a week um more if i need to um but yeah i sought care for myself um, because it just was like I said, I had to get out of there. It was so toxic. She actually um told me to stop working because it was lowering my check. And I'm like, Well, I ain't getting in no way. I need clothes, I need food, I need I put myself through driving school, I did everything for myself. So um, and then when I left, she actually had the nerve to call and say, uh, because you left, I can't afford to pay the bill. So you're going to have to give me $250. I'm like, what? That's your problem. She basically only wanted me there for the money. So mm-hmm. when I actually gave her the money too, and I said, this will be the last thing you ever get from me. This will be the last thing you ever do to me because I'm cutting this demon off at the head like it ain't gonna be no more I gave her the money because I was like that's it you know people are like why would you give her the money you're stupid I said that's how I cope with that's what I chose to do to get rid of the situation because I, I don't I don't like walking away from situation with regrets I have no regrets because I did nothing wrong so awesome. I'm good. And, you know, she. it turned out that even today, her life is just miserable. She eventually was diagnosed with schizophrenia, which I already knew. Like I well, said. Well, that's good. She finally got a diagnosis. Um, so that's good. Oh, yeah. She did. Now, mm-hmm. hopefully she'll get help now. But I'm sorry what you had to go through. Anyone else? Uh, we're today, um, I'm just going to put us back on topic here. Today, we're talking about parents' perspective, giving a platform to speak out about how you, as a parent or family member who 
have a family member or an adult child who suffers from mental illness. And we're just talking about our lived experience and trying to hold a safe space and talk about what we all have uh, gone through. So if you want to come up to the stage and talk, you can. You're more than welcome. But um, I started this because I thought it was a good topic because on Saturday, I did a live on my uh, stream yard. Um, I am the founder of Sex Coach, Sex Coaching and Sex Coaching Services and Education. So um, I said that backwards, but it's Sex Coaching and Sex Education Services. <laughs> Sorry about that. And so this is part of what I do as well. I'm also a marriage and family therapist associate, also working for my doctorates in marriage and family therapy. So this is like kind of an umbrella topic to what I do as a sex coach. And I wanted to bring this platform so people can feel comfortable to speak out and share some of the things that they may be witnessing or experiencing firsthand or secondhand. And it might be traumatizing to you or very stressful or you don't understand. And we just come here and talk about it and try to see if we can build community and give each other help and resources and just know that you're not alone in this and that there is a light at the tunnel. And we have to know that our relatives and our children are on their own journeys and we are all on our own journey. And I know sometimes it's just so hard to imagine that someone you love will be on this type of journey. And when you embrace it and allow it to unfold and take place like it should naturally, it seems impossible when you're in it because you care for that loved one and you just seem and it just seemed like it's self-destructing. I also want to know, like from your perspective, like sometimes, do you think like or do you believe like is it all the person or could like some sort of negative spirit could have attached themselves to the person as well? Or is it just strictly all misfiring of the chemicals of the brain and causing these kind of behaviors? What is your take on what may be showing up in our loved ones and our family members? If anybody want to take the mic on that and answer that too. Kenneth, I hope you find that mic because I want to hear from you. Any luck? <laughs> there he is. I think that might have been what I needed. Hey, we me? figured it out. Yes, we hear you oh, just man. fine. Thank God. I'm like, man, I don't know how else to unmute this mic. It just shuts <laughs> oh, nice to hear, Ken. Nice to hear from oh, you. Thank you, Sister, Sister Felicia, for uh, for sharing this uh, amazing to topic. As, uh, you know, we've heard from the people who have spoken. I mean, oh, my God, it's, it, it comes from so many different directions. Um, I was very, very much connected to your story because I have a son who is, uh, was born in 1990 and who, uh, very much, uh, like you went through has experienced homelessness and, and, you know, the, these challenges with, uh, with uh, schizophrenia and alcohol and drug abuse. 
And uh, as a parent, you know, there's no uh, greater sense of helplessness that you can have than, you know, like you said, not being able to intervene on your child's behalf in, in any way to try and help him. Yeah. Um, That's the worst. <laughs> Yeah, and even to the to the extent where, you know, the parent is viewed as a trigger for some of their behavior, and you know things that happened when the child was growing up that they use for blaming and 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 uh, further, you know, exacerbating their situations and relations uh, with the parent, which I know takes place. Uh, with his mother and him. And uh, it's just heartrending uh, to see it. And I was so amazed, again, that if, I under, if I'm understanding you, you had an opportunity to, uh, in, in, to, you know, with your son's consent, you know, re-engage the, uh, the medical, uh, for process. engagement. Yeah. Yes. Not for yeah, him. Let, me explain. let me explain that. You hit on a couple of things. So one, I want to say when I was studying in my doctor's degree and I was taking my coursework, I had a class where we were studying Freud theory, the Freudian theory. And mm-hmm. when they were coming up with all these labels of uh, theories of schizophrenia, they back in the day they thought it was the mother's um way of parenting that caused the child to have schizophrenia i thought that was so mean and so hurtful i started crying in that class because nobody knew what i was going through and they were wondering why are you crying i was like you this is saying this is my fault (laughs) for the way my son is has turned and then they had to explain to me, like, no, no, this was early theories. That is not what the theory is today. It was so hurtful. And I can only imagine back in the day when that Freudian concept was what therapists used, you know. Sure. And um, to, to do that, to go through that today, because, of course, as a parent, you're going to guilt yourself. You're going to shame yourself. You're going to wonder if there's anything that you've done to to contribute to it. So right, or haven't done, you know. Or haven't done, right? Right. Uh-huh. Did I do something or I didn't do? Like, there is no book on how to parent. We all do the best that we can. And you never imagine, you would just never imagine this happening. So uh, on this long journey for me, like I said, it had been, 16 years before we've gotten to this phase two, <laughs> which is more consenting. And what happened was is that um, when I thought he might have overdosed, I had to call paramedics because I heard him breathing an, an unusual breath, breathing in his sleep. And it sounds like he was gasping for air. And I didn't know if the next breath was going to come or not. And so I called the paramedics. And so the original uh, threat or concern was, was he trying to commit suicide or 
was, um, you know, was this a drug overdose or whatever? And so while we were yeah. in the ER, um, they did a psych evaluation and the psychologist decided to do a 5150. So well, that is a 72 hour hold to where they can calm him down, give him medicine, make him more stable. So what happened, because the hospital they took us to was not a behavioral health hospital, they needed the pet team to come in to assess him and take him to a behavioral health hospital. Well, the gentleman from the pet team who came in to assess him, since my son wasn't in consent mode for that he didn't honor the psychiatrist 5150 to keep him on the rest of his hold which he still had 48 hours to his home and so because of that the hospital discharge they gave me poor resources i i had a i had a rude awakening that a lot of these places don't take our insurance they want to charge us upwards of fifty to fifty-five thousand dollars to take someone in to be an inpatient. So, what happened was, as I continued to try to search, like right away to get my son help, he was increasingly, you know, not wanting any treatment and fighting against it. So when we came home. Um, and I said, well, before we go home, let's go over here to Tri-City. It's a place here called Tri-City that deal with mental issues. Uh, we went and we made an appointment. They said, okay, we're going to give you a call to find out, to let you know when his assessment day is. From that day in May, they wasn't going to be able to see him. And the date still haven't came until now coming up on july 22nd so from may to now that's how long we had to wait for him to even be seen by somebody so i'm like what do i do in the meantime so then i discovered there was this urgent care place you can walk in 24 7 you know and i asked him let's go to this place before he got too out of the out of hand and before that medication wore out that they did give him i wanted to keep him in that state to continue his help so what happened was he started to get ready we were going to the urgent care and when i went out to the car and he was coming out to the car he came to the car and said no i'm not going i'm leaving and that day when he did that in may that's when he left, walked away from home, and started living on the street homeless. And it was from that day when I didn't know if he would ever come into consent to have treatment. And all I know is that I was not going to have him return to the house having this strange behavior or trying to hurt himself and all this other stuff. I was not going to allow that to be in my home anymore. And the only way he can come back if he consent to help. So he knew that when he left, I said, okay, if that's what you want to do, you can leave. I said, but if you ever want to come home, you know, you cannot come back in the house until you give your consent for treatment. So he would stop by from time to time. 
He might, I might give him water. I might give him food. I might give him supplies, toothbrush, deodorant, uh, mouthwash, whatever he might need to be out there. And um, finally, after three months later, about a week ago, on Saturday, he come home and he said, Mom, I'm tired. I want to come home. And he said, I feel like something is going to happen. And I just want to be close to family. And I said, okay, well, you know what my rule is. If you want to come back in, we got to go to the hospital. He kind of hesitated. And he said, okay, okay, yeah, I'll go. I let him come in, take a shower, and then we went over to the Urgent Care Behavioral Health Center, and he consented to everything. He gave me ROI, which is rights of information, because when they're grown, they don't have to tell you nothing. But always, because I know when I'm in the field, I always ask my son, please let them give me ROI, rights of information. And that's what they did. They took him in, they talked to him, and then they called me in and talked to me. So I'll know everything that they said to him. And he consented. They said, we're not going to keep him because he's consenting to take medicine. And they prescribed him the medicine. And now he owns medicine. And then just a couple of days later, I took him to um, uh, make an appointment to have a physical and get a psychiatrist so that he can have a doctor. He consented to that. And so, like I said, this is two. And as any moment, though, who knows, but I'm still in prayer and hoping hoping that we can continue with this phase until we can get into phase three, which I call is the independence, where he can begin to acclimate himself back into the world and working and taking care of himself. So that's Uh, the time. That's amazing. You know, I, there's so many uh, places in there that, uh, you know, I, I, I've been challenged with my son. My son is calling me on the phone, talking, telling me that he's holding a knife to his wrist, ready to cut his wrist. And you, and then, you know, and, 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 and he's obviously, you know, talking about how much pain he's in and, and how much, mental suffering he's going through and he just wants to end it all and so you know i called to do a health check you know just to have you know somebody go by there and you know see if he's injured himself to see if you know Mm -hmm. i do a wounds check as what it's called and uh and somehow you know, after hearing all this madness on the phone for the last hour, the police can go there in 15 minutes and decide that he's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they're not sending out the trained police officers that are supposed to take him. And, and to I requested those police officers. Exactly. Those officers are the ones that are supposed to go out there and what they do is they take them to a behavioral health hospital so that they can get checked out and usually the doctors will put them on a you know, a hole, some type of hole. They've done that with my mom before um, where she's called the 911 and they take her to, it's 
well, here it's Green Oaks. She specifically will request it. That's where they take you um, when you call 911. And then, uh, you know, and then the backlash because you called a wellness check on him. Now he's hating me and hangs up, doesn't want to ever talk to me again. You know, <laughs> and I'm left pulling my hair, you know, just saying, you know, I'm just going to have to, you know, be prayerful and, and have faith and realize that, you know, in my weakness, you know, I'm standing in his strength. And, and, uh, and I'm glad I have your testimony to attest to the fact that God is good and he is faithful and he answers those prayers of a parent's heart. In those moments of our absolute dejectedness, that uh, he hears those prayers. And well, I am glad to share my story. Let me see, I have someone else that is here. I don't see him, Mr. Dexter Miles. If you can, just um, uh, from, there you go. And I'll invite you in. There you go. So you just, uh, you just answer the invite. And there you go. Now you're on stage with us and you click the mic at the bottom if you have something to say. But yeah, Kenneth, I'm glad, um, you know, that's why I'm here to share and hold a space and help others. Um, let me see. Uh, Aisha says some people don't want help because they feel they'll be given a ton of medication and then left alone. Yeah, well, either I don't know if they feel that they're going to be left alone. I don't know if it's that or as much as being labeled because they take the medicine or it's a confirmation that something is wrong and some people don't want to admit that they have something wrong. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. And that's why we, that's why I say, where does the stigma lies? Because sometimes it's also, I believe the healthcare people who are in the field sometimes have stigmas against the people like they don't really believe that mm -hmm. mental illness or mental issues are a real thing and and so we need to really identify what is really going on so that we can make sure our loved ones really get the help that they need so if anybody want to talk just go ahead and Unmute yourself. You know, I did want to uh, answer that question that you left uh, posed uh, concerning, you know, whether these were uh, the workings of the mind or whether there were spiritual oh, okay. aspects to, uh, yes, to this. Mm -hmm. You know, there is a, a couple of ideals I've heard uh, spun around. One is that the children of the 90s are the children who grew up uh, under a magical attack, 
that was released upon our children through the machinations of the um, well, Pokemon card games. And that all of these kids who, you know, were playing with these games were unleashing magical spells upon themselves. And by the consistency with which you can see that generation of children between, you know, the 80s, late 80s and early 90s going into the Pokemon era. And I, I mean, I have easily, you know, a half dozen friends whose children have are dealing with mental illness. And, and that's, you know, the ones who have reported in, you know, with their children. Um, but, you know, I, I can't, you know, say much more than, you know, that's one of the ideals that, that was uh, being least, especially in the, in the Christian community that was trying to, you know, deal with the fact that this seems to be a pretty consistent issue for that generation. Yeah, I'll leave it right there for right now. Go right ahead to what you're going to say. Well, I was just agreeing with you that, you know, what you're saying kind of makes sense. I mean, I never heard that perspective, but, you know, my kid, 86, some other 85, you know, some other things, 85, 84, around in their mid 80s to the 90s, you know, their kids around in that age group, you know, it's just a bunch of us who have children who now, you know, uh, around 17, 18 years old, something has shown up and has been living with this, this, this behavior that have shown up. So yeah. I just want to know how to that. Yeah, and it seems to attach them to drugs and drugs open the door up wider for the influence of, uh, of more considered demons and, and spiritual, you know, intervention. Um, I've always been taught uh, that spirits attach themselves to alcohol, drugs, and sex. Exactly. Because that's my son had went to college and he joined a uh, a fraternity and that fraternity experimented with with drugs. And I just think part of it, too, is some of that. He might have gotten too high and something. That's just all my theory. Something might have attached. And then someone from Clubhouse, actually, her name is Make It Pop. She did a reading and told me what was attached to my son. And uh, she gave me the name. And I actually had started praying and talking to that spirit to leave my son because he was his body was being broken down. He would show up, couldn't barely walk, feet hurting. And I, when she told me what the thing name was, she said, you got to call it by his name. And I started doing that. The next time my son showed up, he can walk. I was like, mm, I think it's something to this. Hang on. I started thinking, think it's something to this because I'm praying to my heavenly host and saying to remove, talking to that thing to remove itself from my son's body. And every time my son show back up, he's getting better. 
Yeah, I said, it's something to this. I said, she, she hit it right on because I was able to talk to the specific thing that was attaching to him. And sure enough, that's how we got to where we are today. That I think that was part of it as well to that's bring good. us to where we are today. Welcome, uh, Alicia, for coming, my friend Lisa, Lisa, and Dexter. So, if you don't know how to work Clubhouse, what you, what you, oh, you got the mic on. You said thank you. All right, all right. You can hear Dexter here. So, all right. You want to well, share? I, Go right ahead. Yeah. I agree with everything that's been said so far because, um, as you said, my son. Um, he had got into gangs in his last year of high school and, um, he started showing behaviors of anger and, you know, just, um, he, he got attached to the drugs and, but the thing Mute was, you talking to you guys, Mute yourself cause I'm hearing background noise. Sorry about that, Lisa. Hold on. No problem. Um, he attached himself to drugs mm -hmm. and therefore later on around, he was 23, he had episodes of somebody trying to kill him, which we thought it was the drugs and all the stuff he did in the gangs. At this time, I wasn't with my son. He was with his father. And so his father would call and say he was doing all kind of strange things like slamming the microwave, just different things, standing in the uh, shower. So eventually he, I came, I got him because he had an accident. Some guys jumped him and busted his head. So the hospital contacted me and I eventually went and got him. They did not um, diagnose him then, even though when I got him, I could see in his eyes and he had been in the hospital two days. I seen in his eyes uh, a signal of help me like I'm in here, but I can't get out, you know, and that uh, kind of did you know, disturb me with the medical field because when they are that age after 18, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. So eventually I prayed, I prayed for about, I say six months and he would rant mm -hmm. and rave and, but he trusted me. And it was literally like, it was, it was his body, but something was in there, you know, mm -hmm. controlling him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he talked 24-7 out loud, never stopped talking. I mean, it was driving me mad. So I prayed. That's all I did. I prayed. And one day I started getting scared because his rants started getting aggressive, you know, mm -hmm. and I was like, I didn't want to be afraid of my son. And it was just me and him. I got us an apartment. So because I can see in my son's eyes that something's wrong. My, his father was like, it's just drugs. And one night I called the police. Well, I was calling the pet team, but the police showed up and they were like, he's on meth. He's on meth. And I'm like, he's been in this house for a week. It never left this house. Ain't nobody came and delivered no meth or nothing. He's like, ma'am, you don't know what you're talking about. He's on meth. We deal with this every day. There's nothing we can do unless he harms you him, you or him. 
Mm-hmm. So it was very discouraging, very discouraging. And I wish I had had this conversation then because I would have tried to work with the spiritual part. Excuse me. No, no, go ahead. You cleared down. Uh, it might have been me breaking up, but go ahead. Okay. I would have uh, addressed the spiritual part because I know my son's heart, you know, and to me, I was just going on the feeling, you know, I didn't, and medical information that I picked up, you know, but eventually, I don't know what it was because I told him this last night, I said, son, if you don't get help, I'm going to have to let you go. I'm going to have to let you go. I can't do this anymore because it was driving me crazy, the nonstop. And um, that that night about five, well, that morning at about five, he just bent down and said, I wish I was dead. And immediately I called 911. That's right. What led me to get him diagnosed, medication, um, and everything. I just wish there was some other way because the first time they 5150 him, he was with my sister and he had an episode. And they just 5150 him, kept him for two days. And didn't give us any information like go to this, go get this. It wasn't until the second time uh, at my house they said he was trying to set himself on fire um, that they gave me assistance at Arrowhead. So it's a very difficult thing, you know, but I like these forums to feel encouraged and like I'm not alone because I felt alone then. But my heavenly host has you know i carry him heavily in my heart and i believe that's what got us to where we are today he's medicated he needs to go further but no more ranting and you know all of that stuff but he still has i still feel a little something in there that he needs to progress and interact you know and that's it Thank you, Alicia. We appreciate that. Yeah, it's a, it's a journey, boy. I tell you, it had to wait until he said that, uh, with, you know, the threat of wishing he was dead. And we were talking yeah. about that earlier. Why does it have to come to that before exactly. we get some help? And that's just the way it's set up. If he if he's gonna help you, uh, hurt you, or harm himself, that's it. Then that's when it kicks in. And and to me that's crazy. It's like yes. don't we love our young people enough to just provide some health care, like some proper care for when the parent I mean, what about what the parents say? Should we know what's going on in our child? Isn't our word good enough? Like I should be able to show up and say, Hey, help my child and do it. I don't care if he's an adult or not. Like, come on, do you tell right. what's my word? You know what I mean? But yep. you know, Dexter has a real great story as well to show. I'm glad you're here, bro. Okay, Miss Brittany, I'll get you. I'll come back to you after Dexter and you can talk about it. Uh, go ahead, Dexter. Are you there? 
you have to unmute yourself, which is at the bottom right. You have to hit the mic. Let me see. You might have to do what Ken did. You might have to go out and come back in for your mic to work. I'm not sure what's happening. All right. All right. So while he's doing that, Brittany, you want to go ahead and tell your story? Um, sure, yes. Uh, <clears throat> in addition to, like, uh, my cousin, um, who, like I said, eventually she did get diagnosed. Um, <clears throat> she was put in different places, but, you know, she always left. Uh, the downside of being an adult is, you know, they can't force you to do anything. Um, but my, uh, I call them my kids because I, I feel like I, I raised them, I helped raise them, and I've been in their lives, so I refer to them as my children. Um, but it's really my nephew. Um, he suffers with um, mental illness, and he does little things um, like, <clears throat> um, I don't know, he has referred to saying, I want to kill myself, I want to die. Um, you know, we've gotten in physical altercations uh, because his anger, um, he really doesn't know how to communicate properly. So he communicates with, you know, his hands. And it's a learned behavior in addition to just being mentally ill. It's also learned behaviors that uh, sometimes you're exposed to something and so you feel like that is the way you're supposed to act. Um, so yeah, when you're raised around something abusive, you know, you probably will think, well, the only way I'm gonna get the results I want if, is if I act this way too. So um, your surroundings, I believe, make a big part of who you are and how you act and all of that. But um, yeah, they. It, it, they said he had ADHD and um, <clears throat> actually gave him Adderall. Um, but then he doesn't want to take the medicine. So then it's like uh, back to square one. Um, he just has these outbursts. Uh, or the last time I remember, he had gotten in the car I was taking him to go in the store for me because I couldn't physically go in the store on my own. When we got there, he's like, I don't want to get out the car. Like, look at my hair. I'm not prepared. I said, there's nothing wrong with your hair. And you're just running in and running out 
we were at CC's for God's sakes. They were closing. No one was even in there, barely. Um, and so he starts hitting the door and cursing. And I'm like, what is the, your problem? You knew when you got in the car where we were going and what you were going to do. Um, so it's like a matter of what is learned behavior and what is actually, you know, you're doing this because you're mentally ill. Um, like he'll, he'll not want to pee or use the bathroom in the toilet. He would rather pee like in a bottle or whatever and um yeah weird stuff just he would did you just do things am i there now can you hear me yes we can hear you now oh i'm back okay i'll go dexter hey how y'all doing hey what's happening who am i speaking with oh I was Brittany. I'm Brittany. I, I was the one talking. Hey, Brittany. Hi. Okay. All right. I'm here. Sorry. Felicia, are you back? Yeah, I was saying let Brittany land and then, oh, you, then you come in. Okay. All right. Go ahead, Brittany. Oh, okay. Um, so, um, yes, um, it's very hard to differentiate what's learned behavior and what he's doing because of the mental illness. Um, um, in the black community, sadly, a lot of times, they believe that seeking out help is weak and so they don't do it. Um, even in church, it's like, give it to God, give it to God. Okay, don't claim that, don't do it. It's not about claiming. I could sit up here and say all day long, I don't claim sickle cell, but I have sickle cell. So it's not about what you claim, it's about how, what you do within the situation you're in. So, you know, being that he's not particularly my child, um, right. I, I can only do so much. But if it was up Correct. to me, he'd be in therapy he'd be on medications if necessary he would be monitored um you know and it's sad like i said in the black community uh, we can give so much advice to people but um we don't take our own advice yeah and right. you don't do what you're referring for other people to do and it makes no sense to me because it's a year doing you're saying exactly what you need to be doing to me when it's you that needs to be doing it and like i said the mm -hmm. stigma in the black community like you're seen as weak if you get hell you know okay you're gonna do that i'm gonna beat you that's not the answer yeah you bring up an interesting point and that's why i say we do have to figure out what are the stigmas and that is a age old adage because and it's also understandable too because of our history so some right. of the some of this stuff carries over because of the injustices that the black bodies have endured due to racism and stereotyping and misdiagnosis yeah. and right. experimentation 
all right. this stuff that has been done to the black body. So it's understandable, but there do come a time where we have to elevate and educate ourselves on what is best for our children. And while your sister have a son where she still holds consent for her son and before he gets older and she loses that, this would be the prime time for her to really seek her resources and get all the help that she could to help your nephew. But um, yeah, yeah and it's, he's, it's he's really 17. difficult. So he's huh? about to be, he's 17, he's about to right. be 18 or something exactly. like that. So yeah, once you get 18, it's like, okay, you know, that's it's it's too late, it's too far gone now. Um, like my cousin I was talking about earlier, like she lives on the streets. Um, my she has one son. Uh, we we're in touch, you know. He has put her up in a house. She left the house, left everything mm -hmm. in the house. He put her mm -hmm. up again, got her all this furniture again. She left that when you're an adult, they pretty much don't really care as much, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so it's like hey, no, you're it, grown, it, you it, can it, do what you it want. Present, mental illness presents itself as if it doesn't care, but it doesn't know. It just mm -hmm. it just behave yeah. in a way that is strange to us, and we can't right. blame the victim. We just have to continue to find ways to get them to that 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 point of consenting for themselves right you know so that's kind of enabling when you keep buying and, and giving a person something to be responsible for that they cannot be responsible for that's like you're not accepting what is really going on with the person she was not able yeah. to maintain that so why right. give her something that she can't maintain why because we enable our loved ones because we love them and we don't want to see them homeless. But you know what? Like I've learned from my situation, sometimes they have to go that far and they have to get tired. And then something kicks in where they say, oh, I can't do this. Right. And then and that's when her son or whoever that was can now step in and say, let's take you here and start with the mental piece first, getting her that kind of help. Getting I have her the a question for you. Yes. Mm -hmm. Actually, um, I have a question. Um, so considering like mental illness, within the family, do you believe that that is something that the entire family has? Like, not saying that it's genetic, but like, I call it like another, sort of like a generational curse type of thing. Um, yeah, some things can be passed down generationally because of behaviors and people think that's the norm so if you don't know anything else and that's what you're getting from your environment it's going to delay your growth it's going to delay that child's ability to grow because the person who's raising them has a uh, uh 
has a developmental issue where they're not pushing forward to develop into the different stages that they should be in. So it's mm. limited. And so that child wow. okay. is getting something limited too in their environment. So it can be environmental. And the genetic part is if, if you predispositioned and meaning that there's some sort of genetic a thread that is in the person that causes the behavior too. So that's something that, you know, professionals can look at to determine whether it is environmental or it is a genetic thread. And so, like you say, it could be dual, but the, here is the kicker though, with all of our loved ones who have this mental issue, they all have a spirit. They all have a soul. And that is the thing that keeps us all alive. That's, that's the thing that's fighting for them inside their bodies while, they're, while they are also mixed up with all this other stuff that's in their bodies. And that's what we have to believe in. We have to pull and pray that that part of them that is alive and going through it will find their way back. Because I would always say, that's not my Lord. I know whatever that is, that ain't him. I know my right. Lord. He's in there, but that's not him uh -huh. right there. And so <clears throat> that's the thing right there. We have to, we have to pray and we have to focus on the true person that's on the inside and focus on helping that person come to the forefront and fight for themselves. And sometimes it looks like, oh, that's bad, we shouldn't do that. But sometimes that's the best medicine to do something that's unconventional to bring that person to the reality. So when Lisa said to her son, hey, um, if you don't seek treatment, I'm going to have to let you go. That was it for him. The spirit in him that felt it, that know his mom, that wasn't that mental stuff, heard her and knew it was real. And so he was praying with inside him like, I wish, well, then I don't want to be here. If I can't, if you can't help me and I got to go through that. And so that's that was her doorway. That was her gateway to finding her son. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and transition over to Dexter so that he can share his story. Hello, hello. Good evening to everyone, uh, all the fine people on here and uh, parents of adult children with mental issues. And we're no longer going to say mental problems because when you think about a problem, you don't want to deal with it. So that's why we changed it, Felicia and I, to mental issues. And uh, I've heard some of the stories this evening. I'm sorry I got on a little late. Uh, still in the office at work, but who cares? I got to get on this program and let you know about my son, Dexter Jr. We call him DJ. And uh, it all started when he was about 19, 20 years old. And again, he's one of those kids born in the 80s, late 80s, 89. And uh, something about that era of our black boys, that things went haywire with them. I, I, I don't understand it. But uh, he, uh, his last time going through, first time he went through, um, he thought somewhere, everybody in the house was after him. 
So he takes all the knives, goes out in the backyard, throws all the kitchen knives in the swimming pool and calls 911 saying that someone's trying to kill him or get him at the house. And uh, the officers came and they ended up arresting him. They took him to the hospital and not jail. Then they transferred him to another place. Uh, it's called College Hospital in Costa Mesa, California, because we're in Orange County. And he stayed in there for quite a while. And then they, as they get better and get on their medication, they downgrade them to the next facility, which was Royale. And at Royale, they reintroduced him back to life and stuff like that, kept him on his medicine. And the medication, they found a cocktail that worked for him. So when he finally gets out, he's sitting around the house and, you know, taking his medicine every day. And he finally got up the nerve and said, hey, I, I need to make money. He goes and gets a job at Taco Bell. So he works at Taco Bell, does his thing, starts saving his money, went and negotiated his own car loan after saving his money. Okay. He leaves there. He says, um, I'm, starts doing Uber and Lyft along with Taco Bell. Then he says, well, I need... I need more schooling. Signs up for UEI school, goes in and does uh, the HVAC. Uh, he got a, a, a skill in HVAC. That's heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. Graduates with honors. Goes in, gets a job, doing his thing, living life, making it happen. And he's there for over a year, doing his thing, and he tells us, the uh, psychiatrist, uh, I, I, I want to do less of my medicine. So the lady took him off all the way instead of weaning him off to see how he was going to act. Within two months after he was taken off of his medication, he lost his job. He lost his car. And a few months after that, he gets up, walks away from his mother's house. We didn't see my son for over two years and four months. He had come from South Orange County, Mission Viejo, all the way clear up. He had made his way to Culver City, sleeping in a tent next to a creek on Jefferson and Overland. So he's up there and uh, we found him in, in August. Um, it's it's kind of crazy how this is going to sound. Um, a gay black man saw him in Culver City and uh, basically started hitting on him. It, it's sick how this I'm saying this, but this is a true story. My son broke it down to me. And he said, uh, the guy said, I had saw him and been talking to him for quite a few weeks now. My son said he hadn't known me that long. And um, this is a story the guy gave me. And he takes my son to his house, tries to hit on him the whole time and says, bring your clothes when he takes him to wash his clothes and take a shower because he's been out there. And uh, so when he found out, my son told him, he tried to come at my son. My son said, hey man, I'm not gay. So he says, well, go on Facebook. And let me see, you got Facebook? He says, yeah. You don't have Facebook. He says, yes, I do. So he goes on, finds his stuff. He says, well, find your dad. So he found me. Then he says, well, find you. You got a sister, brother? Says, he found his sister. So my, when my son rejected him, 
he took him back to where he was staying. And the next day he calls me, which was a Saturday. And so we all went up to, to see him. And my son didn't want to leave at first, you know. Next week, he didn't want to leave. The week after that, my brother came, which was one of his first babysitters. He said, DJ, get your stuff, put it in your dad's car. We getting ready to get out of here. My son about face turned, went and got it. I couldn't get him to do nothing. His mother, his brothers and sisters, but my brother spoke to him. They acting goofy and stuff. That was their way of getting along. And he left with me and we went wash clothes. I took him to his mom's, but I didn't know that he had a problem with his mom's new husband. He didn't like the guy. So I took him back to his same hell and didn't know that's what it was. So he got into it there with his mother's husband. Uh, DJ comes in the house because, and uh, he starts cooking with just a jacket on and nothing else. So he's basically naked cooking with a coat on. So he got into it with his mom's husband. Police were called. And so they said he was trying to harm them and this, that. So that's a good thing. So only time in my life I ever agreed with my son getting in a fight because I knew he was going to get the help he needed. So they took him to the hospital, all that stuff again, sent him back to college hospital and he couldn't move down as quickly as we wanted him to. I think that was really the real blessing because he got to stay in college hospital two or three months longer, which made his medication and everything work for him. I even got conservatorship when he went in there. Uh, Orange County is a whole different story than L.A., Riverside, San Bernardino, uh, all these different counties, it's a whole different world. Like they will help you out here. And so I got conservatorship and uh, I did held up my end of everything my son asked me. So we got him out of that one back to Royale where they acclimate them back to life. So when he got there, two weeks after being there, they start taking him out for walks so he could see the world and, you know, fresh air and feel free. And he finally he kept saying, Dad, I want out of here. Dad, I want out of here. So I found a place that he could get to. And uh, the lady I've known forever uh, allowed him to come there. That's what she does. She has a lot of patients that have mental issues. And uh, I told him the only way I'm getting him out of there is you got to take your medicine, man. I'm not playing with you. You got to take the medicine. Now. I said, you can't tell me to get you out. And you're not going to do your part. I said, you had a warrant. I took care of that. You asked me to get you from college hospital. I kept on the people and they finally got you out of there. Um, you asked me to get you clothes and all that. I took, I did everything I'm supposed to. I took, I took care of your social security. I got your social security together for you now. I said, all I ask you is one thing. Take your medicine. I'll get you out of here. I promise. So he, you know, like you said, um, like Lisa told her son, or Felicia told her son, you can't live here until you agree to take your medication. We had to make a deal. And so when my son was in the first hospital, I had some heart problems. I had to go to the hospital to get a stent. And the first person to call me the next day after this operation was that son. I have two sons. That one called me. Dad, 
I know you had your procedure. Are you okay? Now he's in there worried about me. And I told him when, when I finished talking to him, I said, I'm going to need you to get out of there because I'm going to need you to take care of me. It's like I gave him a job. I gave him a, an agenda. A lot of times we have to say things like that to him, even though we can help ourselves. But right. we have to say things and, and give them something to do because right. when their minds are idle, yes, that's when that devil comes in. Because when right. he first got out, he called me, was worried about something that didn't make any sense. And I told him, I said, son, that's not even relevant. So get out right. of your own mind. Yeah. Don't step on your own toes right now. Stay focused. Right. And we get along well. And the thing about this is I had to accept his condition. Because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I come from a sports background. You know, athlete, get it done. You can do it. Ain't nothing wrong with that boy. I had to accept that. I had to accept that, first of all. And then I had to have patience. And that's the most important thing I could tell each and every one of you on here. Because Felicia and I have had this story, and I want to tell my, my, my man, Kenneth, patience, brother, and accept his condition. Accept it. Accept it, and you will go on. And remember, never tell him he has mental problems. He has mental issues that we're going to deal with. And that I talk to my son like that. And, and things like that. And uh, I, I had one other thing I wanted him to do when he got out, which was to go to this wellness center so where they have activities here in Orange County. I told you, Orange County is a different animal. They have activities yes. that they take, they take these young adults with mental problems. They take them on field trips uh, to the movie. They take them to do things like that. You know, but right. DJ said to me the other day, he said, Dad, I want to get me another car. I said, Well, I got it's going to take a minute. First thing we're doing, okay. we're going to work on getting his credit back right. Well, all right. Then after that, there, we're going to work on getting you a job. We're going to work that way. That's what I told him. We're going to work to make things better. It's step by step. And he's with me. You know, he's with me. And he told me the best thing he told me when he got out, you guys. He said, Dad, you get it. And to me, that felt really good. Put a smile on my face. He said, my mom don't so much get it. I said, she gets it. You just don't like dealing with her husband. Yeah, yeah. I said, if he wasn't there, would you live with your mom? Yeah, probably. But I like living with you better. I said, I got it. I got you. That's so awesome. that's where we are. And I tell each and every one of you, Please be patient and accept it, and okay. give you and keep putting things on their mind like it's an agenda that they know they got to right. get up something to do the next day. You got to yes. occupy that mind. Yes, you know I taught him how I to agree. use the air fryer. He's been gone so long he didn't know how to use the air. Now when we go to the store, he picks something up and he says. Uh, let me go on. I taught him go on Google. I mean, on uh, YouTube, and look and see what it would take to cook this in the air fryer. Oh, uh, he's hooked. Okay. Now. So you know he he knows what he's doing. But um, I thank you guys for listening to me. I, I was, that was like the short version <laughs> of what he's yeah. been going through. 
So I'm letting you guys know. You're welcome. I want to let you guys know that this has been a what what is he night of 14 year journey. So this ain't just happened overnight. Okay, it's 14 year journey to get to this point. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for That's that. Oh, and by the way, by the one more thing, I don't have to ask him to take his medicine. He's up on it. What we did okay. is we, we did on his phone. He has an mm -hmm. alarm that goes off when he's supposed to take his medicine. And right. he's on it. That's another thing. Great guys. Any last remarks? We've been on here since seven. It is now nine. Anyone has anything else to say in closing? You know, I want to welcome, I'm going to thank everybody for coming and sharing your stories. This will be something, you know, ongoing periodically for us to come. I also want to bring your attention to the private group. We have a parent and family um, parent perspective Facebook group that you can join and leave comments or tell your story there and help each other out. I will be putting topics in there. I will come in and chat. We will have some live events around the topic as well. So if you know any other parent who have adult children that feels like they don't have an outlet, direct them to the Facebook page to join. And uh, we will be holding space for those people and also um, coaching. If they need coaching will become available. Um, a program will become available for those who feel like they need some extra help in getting to patients and don't know how to get there. Um, you know, I have some expertise in that area and how to help people get to the other side and um, help their adult children or help themselves first <laughs> in dealing with the adult child and um, letting them have the space to come to their own consent because that's where it starts when we can get the adult child to come to their own consent or come to a point of knowing that they are in that they are in trouble um yeah that's where the work begins and that's just the way it is that's just the way it is set up there's no way around it and so um like i said i just want to thank you all for coming out any yeah. last remarks <laughs> Well, Felicia, I want everyone to know if they could start looking up with these, with our adult children with these issues, look for a college hospital near you. It's an acute hospital that helps to get them back on their medication. It's going to be like a, a prison, basically. I'm just being honest. They can't get out. They feed them well because we got out fat. <laughs> and so, but, uh, mm -hmm. They they will get them on their 
medication regimen and they will find a cocktail of drugs that works for your child. Awesome. Trust me on that. And I yes, wish some of y'all lived, I wish y'all all lived in Orange County. I can point you in the direction where to go, but but I know that they have college hospitals throughout the LA, Los Angeles metropolis. So they have one near Felicia and Glendora, the one by me in Orange County, one in Norwalk. I'm not sure as far as Riverside and San Bernardino, but I'm quite sure they have acute facilities uh, or, or hospitals there that would help. So please look them up. Hey, just look up College Hospital. They may have one that's a brother or sister hospital in your area that would be okay. able to help your child. But it's called College Hospital. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's on the list Please. for next step. I got it. I got yeah. it all written down. So I'm, I'm trying to give. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to give y'all all of my little mini successes. Thank you. That are Thank helping, you. so you Thank can get on the road to a, a calmer night of rest. Mm -hmm. it, it really is. It's a calm. I, I'm, a, I'm a calm. I got a smile back now. Amen. I got my Amen. smile back. My boy home. My boy with me. Right. Right. So, I was in, I did an open house uh, Sunday, and he texted me. I got one of Obama phones. Right? He texted me. I miss you, big guy. I'm like, man, this boy got me over here about to cry and stuff, man. I'm like, oh, man, go on, put all that, man. Don't. Don't make me cry, man. All that, man. I'm grown, man. I'm grown, man. Don't make me cry, man. <laughs> so I, I have to bring some laughter to what we're doing here because that's right. A happy, we all want our happy and our smile back about our child. Yes, we do. And so yes. we want that, you know. Yes. You know, we want yes. that, that smile. And 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 Greg Gregory brother, uh, you know, it's it's a long journey, but yeah. you can't quit. No, you can't quit. You can't quit, brother Greg. Oh, Kenny, I'm sorry, Kenny. I don't uh, know where you got right that Greg. I'm sorry. I apologize, Kenny. Kenneth, forgive me, man. Good, I'm, I'm over 55. I don't remember. I can't I can't read no more. I ain't got my help on. <laughs> my glasses, I don't have them. That's what I call help. I'm sorry. But just don't give up, bro. Ain't nobody on here giving up. So the minute you give up, your child is done for him or her. And so, right. but as I, as I noticed, majority of us on here are talking about sons. And I'm just trying to figure this out. How these beautiful little black boys are in this state of mind. Beautiful black exactly. boys. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. And, 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 and yeah. look, another thing, don't beat yourself up. This is another thing I forgot to say that Felicia and I spoke about on Saturday. Don't beat yourself up about what you did or didn't do. Because you can't do nothing. If you bring it up, it's probably going to upset them. So when they bring it up, that's when you discuss it. Don't you bring right. it up. 
Because exactly. if you got them going in a happy place, let them stay in that happy place. And even if they bring up something that you don't even know about and they accuse you of, yeah. just say, you just say, mm, you know, you just let them say. I didn't you know. Don't have to have a re- you don't, I didn't you don't have, to have a rebuttal because it don't fit your reality. And when it don't fit theirs and, and it don't fit yours, that's a clash and that can be a trigger. So what I've been doing yep. is just letting him say it. And I'll be like, and I just do this like shrug my shoulder kind of thing, or really, or something like that. But I don't go against. I don't go against him because I'm not trying to trigger him (laughs) because I want him to stay right over. Step right over. Right on over. He'll go something to something else because he'll figure out that hmm, something ain't quite right here, and the information isn't there. So he'll move on. He'll move on. Yeah. Yep. Son, I've always loved your mom. I still love her today. I got nothing else to say about it. Amen. That's all I got. That's all I got. <laughs> but yep. no, you guys, all thank right. you so much for everybody for their stories and yes. for sharing. And this is real. And uh, you know, and I, that, I, you know, I feel like I have to say this. And you know, this ain't just some black boys and black girls, man. I got, I got plenty of white friends. We're going through right. the same thing. This is a generational thing. It's a generational attack. I really do believe that. That yeah. uh, right. as the tools as the tools grow yeah. broader, they find more and more ways to attack. Yeah, they got all these yeah. all these kids in an ugly way, man. This is a wow. Man, they got at them bad, man. They got them. They got them bad. Look at our television today. Man, yeah, there's a reason they had all that shit bound in the in the back in the fifties. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and there's a reason. Look at look at that's why I say look how TV is. I say that all the time. Mm-hmm. Look at this yeah. ignorance on TV. I remember the Simpsons. The per, you know, talking back to your parent. Oh man, exactly. I, man, they couldn't exactly. put my kids. I didn't let my kids. They could not watch the Simpsons. Because you're going to okay. turn around and get all your teeth knocked out. <laughs> and that, and, but that's the thing. You're going to be sucking. You're going to be eating your food through a straw. Japanese. But what I, what I want to share with you about the Japanese um, magic attack and these Japanese cartoons our kids were watching, these kids don't yeah. have parents. These kids are, are, are doing their own thing, have their own opinions, and, and, and are... Or if they do have parents, they're like they're like the Simpsons. They talk back to them. They look down on yeah. them. They think their parents are idiots, you know. And yep. so the, our kids have these type of mindsets and this rebellion hey, you know in on thing. them. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, Dexter, hold on. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Kenny. Mm-hmm. Kenny. No, no, no. Yeah, and, and, and that and. and uh, well, no, I think that was pretty much what I wanted to say was just the fact that, yeah, this not, our children got a dose of it, man. They really did. I mean, Beavis and Butthead, oh, my God. I mean, did they get a dose yes. of these adult cartoons that were oriented towards children and yeah. and still going on? You know, I mean, as much as I love Pinky and the Brain, yeah. you know, it still wasn't, you know, Toting uh, the greatest of ideas yeah. in a cartoon, and so 
All right, we're going to be wrapping it up. Go ahead, Dexter, last words. Oh, and I'm gonna it, shut it down. The one thing I wanted mm -hmm. to say, what Kenneth said about the magic thing, because DJ keeps bringing up to me, I want to take a magic class. He keeps saying this to me. Mm -hmm. So when you said that, I, you know, I, I remembered I wanted to say something. He keeps saying, you know, I, I, you know, I feel like I, I got a spell on me or something like that. He said this right, to me, right. and I'm talking like when we went to go mm -hmm. see the site, he's been out for two weeks, and the next mm -hmm. week, last week, we had to go see a psychiatrist, and that's when he told mm -hmm. him, I, I just want to do magic. I'm like, huh? And I'm looking at mm -hmm. him like, I remember you got a little magic set when you were young, 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 but you know, mm -hmm. this has been gone a long time ago. And but that just amazed me though, for him to bring that up, uh, Kenneth. And I didn't say Gregory this time. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm done. <laughs> All right, everyone. I want to thank you. You guys have a good day, good evening, a wonderful week. Until next time, Mama Fifi. Peace out. We're Love you. Bye. Bye, bye, Love you guys. Yes. Love you guys. Bye, bye. Thank you for uh, letting me come on. Awesome. We're out. Bye-bye. Yeah, man, I got to quit with these two phones. Man, I'm driving myself crazy. All right, Brother Kenneth. All right, guys. God bless. Man, take care, brother. <laughs>